0: To the Easy Peasy Podcast, where we discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, freedom, flow, agorism, anarchy, and more. We'll discuss how to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions.
1: I would say is that what inspired me about this conversation is both tucker carlton and i are absolutely disenchanted with establishment power whether it's on the left or the right That neither of those terms mean anything anymore that authority and government power has been co-opted by financial interest to such a degree that no one is voting for anything meaningful anymore have a look these are them facts i was gonna uh, tell you about if i may i hope you will i certainly shall do my best Oh, I wanted to do it down the barrel. Did you see that? Did you see the, presumpt- the presumptiveness of me there, Tucker? To turn straight ahead for my single, a single that frankly wasn't there, because this is Tucker Carlson today. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get an nice shot. I'm Mr. Brand. Thank you. Look, at he directs from the floor. Ah. <laughs> Hello, America. <laughs> In the world of energy, you know energy, that we require to do stuff, to move things about, to warm our homes, at least 100 members of Congress own fossil fuel stocks, of which 59 are Republicans and 41 are Democrats. Oh, look, the Republicans are a bit worse. Pharma. Of the $263 million of the pharmaceutical industry spent on lobbying in 2021, it gave 61% to the Democrat Party and 39% to the Republicans. Oh no, the Democrat Party is a bit worse. Wall Street. In 2022, commercial banks spent over $30 million lobbying Congress, 61% to the Republicans and 39% to the Democrats. Oh no, look, the Republicans are a bit worse.
2: While reviewing the nine alignments, I wouldn't be surprised if some of my examples raise an eyebrow. It seems like arguing over what alignment category certain movie and comic book characters fall into has become an obsession over the internet, and I'll be the first to admit that it's a subjective process and the examples that I use may not be the same that others would. And a large reason for that is that no interesting and compelling character from fiction spends their entire career trapped inside of one alignment box. Never ever. Just like real people, they face situations and make decisions that cause them to behave like another alignment at times, but generally speaking, they only do so occasionally and rarely move more than one step away from their default alignment. I've even seen it argued that over the five seasons of Breaking Bad, at one point or another, the protagonist Walter White assumes every single one of the nine alignments which is appropriate given that he's a fascinating character, and the overarching plot of Breaking Bad is exploring what it would take for a good and noble person to become a ruthless villain. So interesting characters should not be caged into any single alignment, but they should be able to shift when it's appropriate. Let's use Captain Picard as an example. Not only because he's a well-known figure, but he's also one of the most frequently debated characters when it comes to alignment.
1: If you've seen any of the criticism in the neoliberal media, you might think, well, what was it about? Because these are not right-wing talking points. This is anti-establishment, anti-authoritarian, anti-financial corruption rhetoric that everyone should be interested in. So it makes me think that the voices that are attacking me are, whether unconsciously or not, supporting establishment power. Let me know in the comments, let me know in the chat.
2: Hey everybody, Dave here with another rule reminder for you. This one is about the alignment system and specifically about the lawful evil alignment. This is a question that often comes up, especially from new players, about what does lawful evil mean. And the uh, preconception is that lawful means you obey the law. And that would be counterintuitive for someone who is evil, because evil people, they break the law, right? So how can someone be both lawful and evil? And just with all of the the nine alignments, to to understand them, you really need to break them down into their their two main components. So for a lawful, evil character, they're lawful. Uh, Lawful versus chaotic. A lawful person likes structure and order. They like rules. Uh, to an extent that can take different shapes for different people a chaotic person shuns rules they do not like order and structure they sort of live in the moment so another way to look at it is lawful characters tend to look externally for direction a lawful character looks to the laws of their society or the tenets of their church or the will of their king or their queen for direction in their lives. And a chaotic person sometimes doesn't really care about external influences. They don't really care about what the uh, law says or what a king or a queen says or what a religious leader thinks. All they care about is what's internal. How do I feel? What do I feel is right or wrong? So that's the first part of lawful evil is they believe or they look for direction often externally, and they value some degree of order and structure. And the second component is evil. So what does that mean to be good or evil? Pretty easy to understand. A good character is one who is willing to sacrifice from themselves for the betterment of other people. An evil person is the opposite of that. They are very willing to sacrifice from others for their own benefit. So lawful evil characters are often going to be characters who are belonging to some sort of a structure. They could be uh, belonging to an evil religion. They could be part of a cult where there is a leader of the cult and everybody is subordinate to that leader. They could be politicians. They could be belonging to a society that has rules, but those rules are not used to protect the and benefit all the people they're used to elevate one class above the others so an evil a lawfully evil society might use things like slavery or uh, oppress certain uh, minority and racial groups all in the name of elevating the lawful evil people at the top they're still believing in rules they're still believing in structure but they're using those rules and that structure as a weapon to elevate themselves and to dominate uh lawful evil characters are often very focused on dominating others and enforcing their will on others uh a good example might be uh from star wars the sith lawful evil organization uh the emperor Uh, is using the Senate and rules to oppress some and elevate himself. He belongs to an ancient order that has very strict rules about there can only be two at any given time, a master and an apprentice. And both of them know that the apprentice is going to try to kill the master at some point, but they stick with the plan anyway because they are lawful evil. So that in a nutshell is lawful evil. Uh, The biggest lawful evil deity in Pathfinder is, depending on your pronunciation, either Asmodeus or Asmodeus, very much a devil figure that is the kind of devil who will offer you a contract and want you to sign your soul away. Again, there's order and structure and a belief in the power of a binding contract, but they're using it in a way to, to... uh to elevate themselves over somebody else who's going to be in some way diminished for doing it that's lawful evil nearly 20 percent of congress members
1: 49 democrats and 44 republicans have been trading shares of companies in industries they're supposed to be overseeing as part of their committee assignment each one of these facts indicates a potential solution to the problem that it describes don't let members of congress own stocks at all. Pharma do not accept lobbying money from the pharmaceutical industry. It's a health industry. The interest should be, as the Hippocratic Oath declares, to do no harm and,
3: get this, maybe even help people. All right, so chaotic good, you know, it's it's been described as many different things over the years. So is- when
4: we did our lawful good video, we were actually to find a really nice piece about lawful good in the 4th edition Dungeons of Dragons Players Handbook. Right. And we're like, wow, they actually did this way better mm-hmm. than, than some of the other editions, including this one. But when we got the chaotic good, they fouled us a little bit.
3: So I actually, uh, you know, pulled out my 4th edition Players Handbook. And it had been so long since I had played a game of 4th that I realized that they nerfed the alignment system fourth edition.
4: Yeah, we haven't touched fourth for four to six years. So it's like, Easy. all right,
3: you've got instead, you know, instead of the, the standard nine, you've got good, lawful good, evil, chaotic evil, or unaligned. Yes. So I don't have a section here to compare.
4: Right. To so chaotic. we're just going to have to just go with chaotic good uh, from the player's handbook, fifth edition, Dungeons of Dragons, page 122. Chaotic good, CG. Creatures act, act as their conscience directs with little regard for what others expect. Copper dragons, many elves, and unicorns are chaotic good. Boom!
3: Done. So it doesn't, doesn't say much. It doesn't really have the impact of what I remember from earlier editions. Yes. I I look at chaotic good and the, the things that I speak to are, like, are the, the things that come to my mind are Wolverine, yeah. The, the ends justify the means, and as long as the end result of what you're trying to do is going to be a good thing,
4: almost any superhero vigilante would almost fall into this category. Uh-huh. Just by by just the act of being a superhero or a vigilante, pretty much means you just just disregarded the law and right. t- have taken it into your own hands. Right. So someone who is chaotic good is more interested in they're you know in in their moral compass which is which is a good one and and um helping others and they're not really concerned like like it says they're really not concerned what others think they're more concerned with justice and right than they are the letter of the law and if you
1: remove the gargantuan motivation for profit and i'm not talking about ending trade and profit and all of those kind of extremist arguments i'm simply saying this is a behemoth this is corporate gigantism This is an outgrowth. This is a a tumour. This has gone too far. And it is possible to change it. And people that say it's not possible to change it are invested in it staying the same. You will notice that. In defence, military contractors have spent $2.5 billion on lobbying over the past two decades. They split their checks more or less evenly between the Democrat and Republican candidates, almost as if they've anticipated the possibility that either of those parties could get into power. Oh no, we've spent all our money on the Republican parties. What if the Democrat party get into power? Should we give them some money as well? Oh yeah, that means whoever gets in, our outcomes will be served.
2: A neutral good character is dedicated to doing what's right and helping others. They generally obey the law and they work well with authority figures, but the neutral good character does not feel beholden to those laws. They always try to work within the law if possible, but they are willing to bend those rules if that's what's needed to serve the greater good. Neutral good characters believe a society needs laws to function, but if the laws are too many or too rigid, then they pose too great a limitation on personal freedoms. They believe in doing the right thing, but don't bother with enforcing any kind of ideology the way a lawful good character probably would. A neutral good character would keep their word to good and neutral end characters, but have no problem lying to someone who is clearly evil. Some people view neutral good as a sort of transitional phase that's typical of young heroes who are still trying to find their place and haven't fully fallen into either the lawful good or chaotic good categories yet. Some examples might include cops who don't go by the book, like Axel Foley and Beverly Hills Cop, Or Captain James T. Kirk, who generally obeys authority, but he's not afraid to bend a regulation here or there if that's the right thing to do or to be in a no-win scenario. And perhaps the most popular example of a neutral good character is Spider-Man, who believes with great power comes great responsibility, and he is definitely a force for good, but he works outside of the law, although he greatly respects that law. That's not right-wing rhetoric
1: except unless you feel that what right-wing means ultimately is a position that's anti-government and anti-establishment. And I know some of you do. I know that that's exactly what many of you feel. Let me know in the chat and the comments. But what I'm interested in are systems of organisation that are beneficial to the people that they purport to serve and are accessible to the people that they purport to serve. Do you not think it's possible when you see things like Uber and all of these new tech apps that ultimately aggregate various powers, whether it's a car or a house centralise it and allow it to be distributed meaning things are possible now that just didn't used to be possible don't you think that that could be applied elsewhere to political power that you could have systems where you vote for how utilities are run systems where you vote for how resources are spent oh no that would mean you wouldn't need people hundreds of miles away or thousands of miles away in the case of the United States of America that are lobbyable biasable corruptible making decisions with your money when they're getting paid from elsewhere that would be a terrible
2: system Chaotic good characters follow their conscience. They believe in upholding good and doing what's right, but they really don't care about any rules or laws. They follow their own path, not the one that's laid out for them by governments or religions or other organizations. Chaotic good characters have strong beliefs in freedom and individuality. They oppose anyone who would seek to take away another person's freedom. At times, a chaotic good character may be selfish and a little greedy, but they would not seek to harm anyone who didn't have it coming. Chaotic good characters often work alone as they do value their freedom, but they are willing to help those in need and do so on their own terms. Chaotic good characters have a strong dislike for authority and may freely break laws, but always do so in the pursuit of what is good and just. They would not harm an innocent person, and if they ever kill you, you'll be awake, you'll be facing them, and you'll be armed. They won't kill for pleasure, and they won't torture, but are more than willing to intimidate to get what they need. Chaotic good characters only lie to evildoers, and would never, ever betray an ally or a friend. Examples of chaotic good characters include Captain Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly, Robin Hood and Wolverine.
1: 180 Democrats and 149 Republicans joined forces to pass last year's record $839 billion National Defense Authorization Act. The Pentagon spent $14 trillion after 9 11. 55% of it went to for profit defense contractors. Over half of the, four, of the $14 trillion spent by the Pentagon went to for-profit defence contractors. That doesn't mean that everything they do at Northrop Grumman, who I think make amazing telescopes, or Lockheed Martin, who I'm sure do incredible stuff, is nefarious, but it does mean it's worthy of an investigation, and these are facts that are significant in the way that your country is organised, in the way that your media reports on stories, and the way that all of us live our lives, because of course those tax dollars are yours. That's your money
2: that's being described in those enormous figures. The Lawful Neutral Alignment is often referred to as The Judge. These characters view right and wrong as being clearly defined with little or no shades of gray between them. They hold order above concerns of doing good or evil. The law is the law. They believe structure and civilization to be of paramount importance and will usually put the needs of a community over the needs or the freedoms of an individual lawful neutral characters believe the world is black and white right and wrong they enforce the rules without regard for good or evil if someone steals a loaf of bread to feed their starving family then that's a crime and they should be punished accordingly they also hold personal honor very high they are trustworthy figures who would never tell a lie examples of lawful neutral characters might include judge dread Most depictions of Death or the Grim Reaper, and perhaps the best example of Lawful Neutral in my opinion, is Sergeant Joe Friday from Dragnet.
1: Now, of course, at the moment, Tucker Carlson is particularly embroiled in controversy around January 6th and the revelation that his interpretation of those tapes demonstrates that there are questions to be asked around the way the situation was police. And we're going to do a video on that tomorrow because, believe you me, the Capitol Police are getting some new funding that's pretty interesting and it's a complicated issue and there are many, many perspectives on it. But you, I'm sure, like me, would agree that to be able to say that kind of stuff on a mainstream channel is helpful and advances the conversation and is generally, I would say, conciliatory in tone. Elsewhere in the chat, I explicitly say that I believe people should be able to identify however they want, express themselves however they want, as long as they don't hurt anyone else, obvious kind of stuff like that, and I specifically spoke to Tucker around the issue of homelessness.
2: Truly neutral characters are the most difficult to define and pin down. They prefer good to evil, but they're really not interested in going out of their way to enforce either. They can come off as distant, uncommitted, or aloof. They are often perceived as being a slacker or just not caring. Neutral characters can be selfish and almost always place their own interests ahead of a group's, but not to the point of inflicting harm to the group. Most non-sentient creatures are truly neutral. They act purely on instinct or programming without any awareness of good versus evil or law versus chaos. Although true neutral characters can hold very fluid outlooks on the world and frequently change their mind, this alignment should not be considered as some kind of wild card or loophole that will allow a player to do whatever they want, whenever they want, without concern for the alignment system. True neutrality is not a way to get around the rules. Examples of truly neutral characters include the dude from The Big Lebowski, computers and artificial intelligence that simply perform the functions that they are programmed to do without any awareness of good or evil, for example, maybe a starship's computer from Star Trek, and all non-sentient animals, except for the family dog because they're good boys and girls. Chaotic good, but still good.
1: The only thing that I've ever seen, sir, that I would call you up on is when I've seen you talking about homelessness, and I feel that when talking about the subject of destitution and people that live in poverty, that the basis for that conversation should be love, and also for all of the displaced people in the world, that the foundational principle should be love. I'm, I'm not claiming that I'm able to maintain that line when something offends me for some cultural or personal reason, but I know that this is what I aspire to. I agree with that,
5: and I, and I, I, I feel that drug addicts living outside are used as political pawns to, to destabilize society. I feel like they're not treated on purpose. The mentally ill live outside and die outside and are left to do that because it's useful for the people in power to draw attention away from their own misdeeds. And I'm angry about it. But I'm not angry at the fentanyl addict. I'm angry at the industry that's grown up around him that doesn't treat any of his needs that leaves him to die alone and that becomes rich doing so. And that the politicians who posture about his death when they could have prevented it. And... Unfortunately, I get so overheated, I get so pissed that um, in many cases I have allowed myself to sound like I'm mad at the junkie when I'm certainly not. As a sober
1: person, I have deep empathy for for anyone who's lost an addiction, particularly on the street. So there we go. Tucker Carlson, who on a personal level was extremely kind and beautiful to me and I think he's a good person and I don't believe that he is a negative influence in American cultural life. I believe that you have to accept that people have different perspectives on cultural issues and if you don't, the alternative is some form of tyranny and hopefully it's the form of tyranny that you happen to agree with and I don't think that's the answer because it's a big old world out there and people do human different. So I think that broadly speaking, that was a positive conversation and generally speaking, We need more conversations like it. And by God, I've been having them.
2: Chaotic neutral characters are often viewed as being extremely selfish, but not to the point of committing acts of evil. Frequent examples of chaotic neutral characters would be criminals who don't really want to harm others by their crimes, or a common example are the more heroic pirates, those who might raid and steal but they're more likely to taunt and humiliate their victims than kill them. Chaotic neutral characters are free spirits who are concerned with themselves first and foremost. As with chaotic good characters, those who are chaotic neutral also fiercely value freedom and independence. But whereas chaotic good characters will fight against the oppression of others, chaotic neutral characters look out for number one and they tend to only care about their own freedom. A chaotic neutral character may work with organizations, but only as long as doing so benefits them and will quickly sever those ties without a hint of regret. Although they do not embrace traditions or care one whit about governments, chaotic neutral characters are not anarchists who would lead a revolt or conspire to burn down an institution. They simply don't care about such things as long as they are left alone. Chaotic neutral characters do not place limitations on themselves, like being entirely honest or always keeping their promises, but of course would if doing so furthered their own interests. And although they don't see any value in the laws of a society, they would not break a law just simply for the sake of doing so, and would not commit evil acts such as torture or slavery. Chaotic neutral characters are rarely the protagonists of the story, but there are a few good examples, like Captain Jack Sparrow, Catwoman, or Danny Ocean from the Ocean's Eleven series of films
1: because I also went on Greg Gutfield's show, which I didn't know is the highest rated late night show in television, not Kimmel or any of those others, it's this one. So I went on there to talk about similar issues, which of course, I suppose, makes me a right-wing conspiracy theorist. And like all good right-wing conspiracy theorists, I went on Fox News and said this. You worried about the IQ decline? Yes I am and actually I've got a series of good points to make because education is uh, fundamentally affected by poverty. Here Greg Gutfield was talking about IQs dropping in America for the first time in, I don't know, 50 years ever, one of those things. And I used the opportunity to talk about education and the connection between education and poverty and the necessity to invest in education. Have a look. Okay so listen to this. According to Global Citizen, poverty is the main barrier to education in the United States. I want to draw your collective attention to the pandemic. I think we all understand that during the pandemic education declined now i can see that greg's only got a one minute break yeah uh, one minute to a commercial so i've got to wrap this i also have other
6: panelists russell huh i have other panelists oh
1: thanks for coming <laughs> <laughs> now listen during that pandemic period billionaires added five trillion to their fortunes that means that the, during the pandemic a new billionaire was created every single day while extreme poverty increased everywhere, while small businesses closed everywhere. Now, I'm going to say something on Fox News that until recently would not have been possible. As President, Donald Trump's tax cuts helped billionaires pay less taxes than the working class in 2018. For the first time in American history, the 400 wealthiest people paid a lower tax rate than any other group. Right-wing fascists, come on. But check this out, Fox News viewers, because you're going to like this bit. In October 2021, Democrats scaled back plans for a crackdown on tax cheating, bowing to an aggressive lobbying campaign by the banking industry, while Joe Biden told rich donors on the campaign trail that nothing would fundamentally change if he were elected president. So like some of the great points in your monologue, you made the point that it's the two-party system itself and in particular the manner in which it is funded that prevents meaningful change for ordinary people. And this education problem, while the jokes you made were about the culture, Kardashians, etc., really, education, if the state has a duty at all, is the cultivation of young Americans, It is the protection of young Americans. This would be my point, Greg Gutfeld. Very good, very good.
2: Before we move into discussing the evil alignments, it's worth mentioning that the six that we've already discussed are considered the standard for player characters in most role-playing games, and the remaining three were developed with the adversaries in mind. That's not to say that evil characters can't be remarkable, interesting, and fulfilling player characters, but it's advised that DMs, especially new ones, proceed with caution before allowing a player to have an evil alignment. We'll start our discussion of the evil alignments with one of the more misunderstood of the nine alignments. And that's lawful evil.
1: I belong to self-organizing, anarchic, mutual support groups that help people with various addiction issues. In those groups, we say, look for the similarities and not for the differences. Do you think that might be something that's applicable in culture more broadly? That we should look for the areas where we agree with one another rather than focusing on the disagreements. Where there are disagreements, perhaps what we have to have is autonomy. You want to live a traditional lifestyle? You go for it. You want to live a progressive lifestyle? you go for it. The state should be minimally involved in people's lives. Minimally might mean you need support with education you might need military support. These are things that we can vote on. Wouldn't you prefer to be voting in systems where your politicians haven't already been co-opted? Let me know in the comments. Are you willing to allow other people to live how they want to if they allow you to live how you want to? Do you think centralized authority might benefit from continually stoking differences creating conflict between ordinary people have far more in common with one another than they'll ever have with the establishment and institutions Institutions that govern their lives. Do you think a better world is possible if we reach out our hand in friendship to people that we don't agree with? Or do you think we should be doubling down on differences throwing stones arguing and bickering? Can you imagine me having a conversation like that on MSNBC or CNN?
2: I frequently hear new players ask how can someone be both lawful and evil? Doesn't being evil go against following laws? Well, maybe. Let's go back to our discussion of what lawful means. Characters who are lawful value order and structure, and their sense of justice often comes externally from the tenets of a cult or oppressive government, for example. And as we discussed before, evil characters seek personal benefit at the expense of others. Whereas a lawful good character believes the laws of their city, the will of their king, or the rules of their church exist to benefit others, lawful evil characters will wield those laws and tenets as a weapon to control and oppress others. So the
1: establishment media can do as many hit pieces on me as they want to. I'm going to continue to reach out and have conversations with people from across the political spectrum because one thing I've noticed that they believe and I don't believe is they think you're stupid. They think you can't handle nuance. They think you can't handle complicated conversations about the balance between power and duty and authority and largesse and licentiousness and morality and ethics and all of the complexity there entails. I believe you can handle it. I believe you can handle the truth. I believe that collectively we have a greater intelligence than any aristocracy. I believe in true democracy. I believe that if we have conversations like this, we will come to peaceful conclusions that meaningfully change the trajectory of the planet. That's what I believe. That human beings are fundamentally beautiful. There's a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us and together we can create something beautiful. But that's just what I think. Let me know what you think because that's obviously, based on what I've just said, even more important. Let me know in the chat and the comments what you think. Turn on the notification bell and subscribe right now because we We need you to march alongside us in our valiant attempt to create new media spaces, new movements, new conversation. Without you, we are nothing. More important than any of that is that you please stay
2: free. Individuals who wish to dominate and impose their will on others are lawful evil. And societies which cater to authoritarian rule with harsh punishments for, for seemingly minor crimes are those societies which promote slavery as being acceptable would also be labeled as lawful evil. A lawful evil character values order, tradition, loyalty, and obedience, but shuns notions of freedom and independence. Lawful evil characters value hierarchies and seek to place vulnerable communities such as ethnic, racial, or social minorities at the bottom of those hierarchies so that they may rise in power. They are the masters, and the less fortunate should be their servants.
1: Alright! The beginning bit of the pandemic, it was like really nice. It was about a month where it was like a free holiday. And I thought this is going to be beautiful. That spirit didn't last that long, did it? (laughs)
2: Laws are valuable because they are a means to seize hold of and maintain power over others. Slavery, public executions, and oppressive caste systems are all laws that they would dutifully uphold and view notions of equality and personal freedom as signs of weakness. Lawful evil characters value allies and loyalty and will impose swift and fatal punishment on those who might betray them. Lawful evil characters often have codes that they perceive as moral and that separate them from common thugs but usually allow themselves a few loopholes. For example, their personal code might be to never kill an unarmed foe, but they'd order one of their minions to do it for them. Or they might never tell a lie, but would mislead or intentionally withhold valuable information. They have no problems using torture to get what they need, but they likely find the practice a little distasteful and would not torture just for pleasure. A few examples of lawful evil characters might be certain depictions of the devil, especially those where mortals sell their souls by signing a contract. Leaders of cults and corrupt churches or governmental dictators would also be lawful evil. Specific examples might include Emperor Palpatine, General Kuvira from The Legend of Korra, or the Kingpin from Marvel Comics.
4: But because, you know, the letter of the law can be manipulated, it, it extends beyond that too. It, it also extends to how that person interacts with the world around them, where they may be a bit more carefree and less organized as well. Uh-huh. There's like two different aspects to the lawful chaotic access of, of alignments, right? Uh-huh. One of them is we are strictly, we really are talking about laws and conventions of society. And the other one is more of a personality trait of how ordered, how organized are you as a person? Uh You know, how creative, how whimsical are you as a person? So I almost feel like someone could be of a lawful alignment and not really give two figs about the law.
3: (laughs) <laughs> That's true. You,
4: you know, it's just they're very disciplined. They're very rigid in what they do. You know, in right. their mind, what's that?
3: Military. You know, you well, know.
4: It, yeah, it could be, but it doesn't have to be. A type well, A personality, right? Well, I'm is the, lawful. The military mindset, not necessarily that they work yeah. in the military. Because even though we are talking about uh, chaotic, but. Chaotic good, but I, I have to address lawful a little bit because chaotic is the opposite, you know So, you know a, a strongly driven type a personality who actually may believe that their order their order of doing things is actually superior to uh, You know what society has decided <laughs> right. might actually just supersede, you know, theirs upon over and say, uh-huh. you know what no, no, they really are lawful good but you know, you guys are all doing it wrong. You should be done this way. You know. <laughs> Chaotic on the other hand is, you know, they might not be doing things with rhyme or reason. You know, oh, the, you, they're, uh, they're less intellectual, Not which doesn't mean they're stupid or they can't be smart uh, or have a h- high intelligence, but it means they're not governed by their intellect. Uh-huh. They're governed by their emotions and how they feel. Uh-huh. Where, the, and where you, then you have the good evil access of the alignment. And this generally dictates their view on the world and how they feel about others and how they feel about accomplishing their goals. Where, a chaotic good person may not care about the law for accomplishing their goals, but they would care about maybe hurting another's feelings, injuring them in some other way, if they're undeserving.
2: If chaotic neutral pirates are the heroic sorts who like to playfully tease and humiliate their opponents, then neutral evil pirates are the black barts of the world who would hang severed heads from the bows of their ships or torture defeated captains in front of their crews or man their ships with enslaved townspeople. Neutral evil characters tend to be selfish criminals who have no qualms about harming or killing innocent people to get what they want. They do whatever they can get away with and indulge in a variety of hedonistic acts for their own pleasure without concern for how those activities might harm others. They lie, they torture and kill, not simply for the sake of it, but because they benefit from doing so. Neutral evil is the most selfish of the nine alignments. Neutral evil characters will work with others so long as doing so furthers their goals, but will also stab those allies in the back for the same reasons. More than truly partnering with others, neutral evil characters would use others as tools to reach a desired outcome. Neutral evil characters never feel a responsibility to keep their word. They will kill innocents and unarmed foes. And in general, they do whatever they need to do to benefit themselves. Some examples of possible neutral evil characters are Lex Luthor, Hans Gruber from Die Hard, and Eric Cartman. Also, I feel like your chaotic
4: alignments... Uh could could also be more self centered, more selfish as well. I,
2: I can see
3: that. I mean it's it's not a it's not a set, it's not a guarantee. It's it's just it's possible because they're used to seeing things from their perspective or that they're they're focused on their goals and their ways more than the other.
4: Well I feel like the like the neutral, the the center of the axis is most likely to view everybody's viewpoint. Uh-huh mm-hmm where the, like the further you get to either end chaotic uh, chaotic or lawful they're more like tunnel vision on theirs right. and then it depends on what you know what part of that alignment really drives them you know is it external or internal right so external would be how you perceive society and, and laws as a whole internal would be your personal view on the world and and so like a lot you know these are all things that my in my opinion you know where you can apply alignment to your character and how you play your character in the game because if you have a character that comes from some place where the laws are different what does lawful really mean whose laws whose laws do you uphold and which ones do you truly value
3: right and and, uh, we've we've created cities where it's like okay this is generally a lawful good place but then we've also made places where it's lawful evil yes kind of of setup so it's like all right well if slavery is okay by the
4: law and your lawful good, you have to abide. Yeah, or you know, what about you know, what about like tribal institutions where might, maybe might makes right. Now doesn't have to. Now that doesn't necessarily or survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. That necessarily doesn't necessarily mean you know evil or, or wrongdoing. But there's just a different set of rules
2: that they play by. Some people just want to watch the world burn. In role playing games, we call them chaotic evil. Chaotic evil characters embrace destruction for the sake of destruction and evil for the sake of evil. They may not even benefit from the pain and suffering they cause, but instead derive pleasure from the sheer chaos that they have created. They avoid being in groups as any form of organization goes against the chaos that they desire. They are demonic, forces of pure evil and the bane of everything the good and righteous represent. They value personal strength and view laws and order as tools for only the weak. Serial killers and the most cruel and depraved of criminals fall into this category. The most frequently cited example of a chaotic evil character is the Joker, but a few others might be Bellatrix Lestrange, Kid Boo from Dragon Ball, and the evil Midnight Bomber What Bombs at Midnight from The Tick
3: yeah as you know you know might makes right you could have a place where trial is by combat if uh, or or
4: even just competitions just physical competitions true
3: and in those situations like you you either could be a system that proxies are allowed or they're not allowed so you know is it a situation where you can manipulate into getting a better champion or do you physically have to be the strongest one, in order to prove that you're you're right here,
4: and and you know uh, it's not it's not necessarily good or evil in that case. They're just that's their rules, and when you're there, you have to play by their rules, yep. or at least you can become victim to not knowing right. anyway. Uh, you know, so they so it's all kind of like all over the spectrum.
3: The, the the chaotic good. You have you have the situation where you're gonna uh, you're gonna possibly be more more passionate but more disorganized, you're, you're possibly going to, um, like, you're not gonna be the person who's like, oh, well, I'm not allowed to do this, so I'm gonna do it just because, although that that definitely falls within- Antihero, the, okay. rebel. Right, um, but it's a situation where those people who are that way absolutely fall into that, that spectrum.
7: It is said that a blade in the dark is worth a thousand swords at dawn. They're the masters of infiltration, stealth, and subterfuge. Today we talk about the rogue in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Greetings, scoundrels and thieves. My name is Monty Martin. And I am Kelly McLaughlin. And and we we are are the Dungeon Dungeon Dudes. Dudes. On today's episode, we're taking an in-depth look at the Rogue class from D&D 5th edition.
5: Yeah, we're going to take a look at everything you need to create your next Rogue for your campaign. We'll start with the ability scores, races, feats, and other build options that will help you prepare your Rogue for any situation. Whether it's a back-alley brawl, a dungeon infiltration, or a courtly intrigue.
7: We're also going to take a look at pop culture references from film, television, comic books, books, and even history to get you inspired about playing your rogue. And we've got lots of cool role-playing ideas and tips to help you flesh out your
5: your rogue's background and personality.
3: All right, Dave, I got a great idea for a new campaign. You guys are a, a crack commando team that was sent to prison for a crime you didn't commit.
4: All right, so far, I'm, I'm
3: liking it. But here's the catch. You escaped from the stockade to the urban underground. You're wanted fugitives, and you survive as soldiers of fortune.
4: Hmm, that sounds kind of familiar, Ted. And if the
3: NPCs have a problem and there's no one else to help, if they can find them, maybe they can hire the adventuring party.
4: But dude, that is literally the
3: whole plot to the A-Team.
4: Yeah, but I've gotten into it.
3: I love it when a plan comes together.
4: Welcome to Nerdarchy, Nerdarchist Dave here, and today I'm hanging out with this nerd. Nerdarchist Ted. Today we're talking 5e D&D feats, a rogues guide. So do you folks want practical D&D information and content that you can drop right into your game? If the answer is yes, you might want to crit hit that subscribe button and tune to that notification bell so you don't miss a single video. So we decided to do a video about feats and rogues, why not? And we, we kind of came up with, like, five different builds using feats. It, you know, it is a little tough because you only get so many ASIs in, in the game, but at least the rogue gets a few more. And if you go human, well, you can pump that all the way up to seven, I believe. Absolutely. It's, the, you know, the, the second most amount of feats that you would get in a game, most being a human fighter. Right. So we're going to kind of break things down according to pillars of the game. You have exploration, combat, and social. Absolutely. But I think before we go into even that layers,
3: we got to ask, like, you know, what kind of elements kind of build together a rogue? What kind of things are going to make make people lean in a particular direction
4: when it comes to feats? You're talking about doing one of two things, I feel like. One is broadening the base what your character can do, or you're talking about... Uh, really specializing and focusing in on one area of the game or, you know, one aspect of that particular character.
3: And when you look at the rogue, the rogue is someone who naturally is a specialist, given how skill heavy they are, given the amount of expertise that they wind up getting, you know, the, the, the rogue is already, you know, that that crack commando in whatever nits that they're going to lean themselves towards. And again, where you place those skills, where you place those expertises is really going to be where that character focuses. So feats are a way to to kind of focus fire even further, should you so desire.
7: The rogue is the quintessential stealthy scoundrel. Yeah, your character could be a master thief, a deadly assassin, a
5: graceful acrobat, a tomb robber, or any other fantasy archetype from your favorite story or movie. No matter the way, all rogues believe that the world is theirs for the taking, but need to remember that curiosity killed the cat.
7: So let's get rolling. Why would we want to play a rogue? (laughs) Why
5: wouldn't you want to play a rogue?
7: They're sneaky, they're mean, and they can kill things with a lot of crazy moves and abilities.
5: They are such a fun and versatile class. Um, they have the ability to deal single-target damage with their, thanks to their amazing sneak attack ability. Yeah. Um, they get more skill proficiencies and tool proficiencies than any other class in the game.
7: Especially with things like expertise and stuff like that.
5: Exactly. Your skill bonuses are higher than virtually any other classes. Yeah. Um, right out the gate.
7: The other really big
5: advantage, I think, for rogues, and especially for new players, is that... They encourage a lot of creative thinking about situations um, especially because there's no resource management in the class whatsoever. Almost everything in the base class outside of archetypes is usable completely at will so there's no bookkeeping to worry about. You always know that you can use your best abilities whenever you need to although some of them have specific requirements and situational uses.
7: So that makes them really easy to manage but really fun to role play. Exactly, which is kind of a killer combination. I think that's probably why they're such a popular
5: class, in addition to the fact that they embody so many of our favorite archetypes, and I think that some of the most well-loved characters in fiction and fantasy uh, are rogues because we love the killer for hire or the scoundrel with a heart of gold.
4: Yeah. Speaking of feats, we found like 14 feats that to me just screamed. These were meant for the rogue. These are all super effective for, for using with building a rogue build. You know, did we want to go through and just give a, a quick list or did we
3: want to just be like, hey, you know, we're going to get right into our our builds.
4: Okay, so, you know what, I guess um, we'll probably just get right into the builds. I will say, though, there's also a lot of good uh, racial feats that we just kind of threw out the window. Because we're building more generic, we're not like specifically this is a human or this is an elf build. but there's you know definitely if you go into those it, it broadens it even wider so we'll, it would push you beyond that 14 that we came up with.
3: Absolutely. so if you're if you're hap- happen to be building your rogue and you want to complement this list and you got some cool racial feed options, you know don't uh, don't overlook those as well. So
7: what role does the rogue play in the party? I
3: think that there's three different roles that every
5: rogue ends up uh, filling in an adventuring party. Uh, The first, right off the bat, is going to be that single target damage dealer.
7: Yeah, they're not there to clean out an entire room full of enemies, but they they pick the biggest enemy in the room, or the one that needs to die the fastest, and they say, that's my target, and they get to killing it. Exactly, and depending on
5: your choice of archetype, uh, your sneak attack can be anything from a really nice hit to a one-shot kill. Um, Beyond that, every single rogue um, is an amazing skill specialist that is often depended on by the party to be the scout, to disarm traps, uh, and they might even be the party face depending on how many social skills your rogue invests in.
3: Absolutely. Why is Skulker on this list? This doesn't doesn't seem to be the one uh, to add any more
4: damage. No, but Skulker is great because if you want to hide and pew, pew, pew people uh, shoot at them, uh, it doesn't give away your position if you have the Skulker feet. It also does some other things as well, but for this particular build, that's what was important. So all of them have great features that you can really optimize, you know, if you wanted to use them all and use them all the best, probably hand crossbow, but you know, longbow does more damage, you get range, so there's reasons to do that as well. Yeah, sharp sharpshooter, you know, taking that minus five for the plus ten to damage, is
3: you know super helpful. You know, in in games that I've been a part of, and even games that I've seen online online streaming, like that extra plus to, plus to damage pushes things over the top so often. Uh, it, it's it's a 100% must for any. You know any any character who's driven to do more damage in in combat with ranged
4: yeah and when you combine that with skulker you're probably rolling with advantage so that's gonna help next we have the melee combat and that's down to duel all right
3: so now this is a little bit riskier because you're you're a d8 hit die, but you're gonna go into melee so hopefully you're bringing along a tank to kind of support you and there's a healer not too far far off but if you're down to duel obviously you want duel wielder you're gonna want mobile And we got another odd one to throw into the mix. We're going to talk Sentinel.
7: Yeah, but they they do have that skill set to be the key infiltrator. Uh, They're usually the ones that get sent ahead of the party. They're the ones that have to to do all that work, uh, which is really fun for role-playing, but also very valuable for the party. I think the biggest weakness of the rogue is that oftentimes they want
5: to be doing things off on their own. And this means that a rogue does not have a lot of toughness innately they have a lot of wily ways about getting out of dangerous situations but it's very easy to get overconfident as a rogue and end up in over your head and then end up dead
4: yeah the reason why uh we threw sentinel in is because sentinel can take place when it's not your turn and this is really important for a rogue as a reaction if you haven't used your reaction already if if an ally gets attacked within five feet of you and you're within five feet of them and the enemy, then you can use your reaction to attack them. And that would be a sneak attack. So Because you've automatically got an ally within five feet. Correct. So <laughs> yeah, and there's some other great things like you can't disengage from someone who has sentinel and you can and you can also stop their movement if you hit them. So these are all useful things, but I, I feel like anything that gives the rogue the ability to get more sneak attacks is definitely a plus for that. having seen
3: you know not this exact combination but having seen the rogue getting more sneak attacks because of other options uh i definitely have to agree that the rogue sneaking more than once more than once in a total combat uh round ugh, it's devastating on on uh, the enemies
7: yeah just because you're a sneaky rogue doesn't mean you should split the party
3: now if we want to get inspired to create
7: our rogue we have a veritable rogues gallery of inspiration to choose from. <laughs> oh, you just love saying that. I just, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's so many ways to get inspired about your rogue in, in so many different places.
5: Yeah, I think um, because much like the fighter is the archetypal big damn hero, the rogue is another archetype that comes up in almost every mythology and fantasy story right from the get-go. The trickster, um, the infiltrator, the liar, the scoundrel, the thief. We love these types of characters in our our fantasy, and you can find them almost anywhere. But we've got some of our favorites.
7: They always always usually fall uh, to be, like, second character to the lead, but everybody seems to gravitate towards that character anyway. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite examples, as you put it, is every movie that has Harrison Ford in it.
5: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I I think that Han Solo is the first character that everyone thinks of of the scoundrel rogue who ultimately has a heart of gold.
7: Uh, he doesn't really display a lot of uh, good stealthiness in the movie. He actually fails a lot with his stealth. <laughs> he, he does. But as in terms of role playing and in terms of personality and and like the just the way he presents himself, uh, he is the scoundrel. Yeah and even
5: when he plays a character like Indiana Jones, who I would also say is pretty roguish in the way that he behaves, kind of embodying not the um, necessarily sneaky stealthy but the really cerebral and intelligent rogue uh, who's great with dealing with traps, exploring environments uh, and actually being a rather knowledgeable character as well.
7: Great one from video games is Nathan Drake from uh, the popular Uncharted series.
5: Yeah, um, I think that uh, those games, again, if you want to live the Indiana Jones yourself firsthand, uh, Nathan Drake is a perfect example. Straight up, I think one of my favorite rogue characters uh, that's emerging in fiction right now in TV is Arya Stark.
7: Arya Stark, uh, every episode that she's in of Game, and Thro- Game of Thrones, the longer I watch the show, the more I get excited about her being a rogue. And she just keeps getting better. Like I can see her leveling up through yeah. the show.
5: I actually love Arya Stark as an example because she's such a great starting point for the backstory of a rogue. Like, so many characters in fiction, so many rogues that we see play in-game, we never get to see them growing up in the streets or falling in with the mysterious Assassin's Guild and learning these weird skills. So she's a really great example of thinking about what your your character did before they became an adventurer uh, and also spoiler alert um, what the repercussions of who you turn your back on might be
7: uh, what about um
5: what about Carmen Sandiego I love that show I love Car- the, the whole mythos of Carmen Sandiego about being like the international thief that will steal anything right uh, I love this idea of playing a rogue who is all about the heist yeah Right? Um, And that is totally on board to steal the most absurd things ever.
7: If we want to look at comic books, uh, we also have Star-Lord
5: is another cool example of a rogue.
7: And, of
5: course, Catwoman as Selena Kyle.
7: Catwoman is a phenomenal uh, rogue, like through and through. Yeah, straight up, ultimately played straight. Also has that femme
5: fatale angle as well that many rogues have you can be the seductress as well as being the thief um and of course black widow uh if you want to um have again that really complex backstory and complex motivations behind why your character fights four different sides
7: also if you want to talk about uh catwoman and black widow you have the perfect examples of uh the thief and the assassin
5: yes Exactly, and a very clear difference. Although I think that probably both characters, depending on which comic book you're reading, have shifted yeah. across, across both of those as well. Um, going for our, our great Disney example, I think Aladdin is probably a rogue as well. Yeah. Uh, certainly um, uh, the, the Arabian Nights saga has so many great examples of thieves and rogues characters, like the, the 40 Thieves... Uh, and Alibaba and all of those great uh, myths uh, and legends that can really inspire uh, the, where the origins of the Rogue come from as that trickster character.
4: If you attack an opponent and you have the mobile feet, you do not have to use the disengage action to not draw an attack of opportunity. So this makes this fighter that much more mobile on the battlefield, plan not intended. <laughs> and not only that though, if you take the dash action over difficult terrain, it doesn't count against you. So that's another factor. You can really play to the the battlefield with this build.
3: So you really have the ability to kind of bounce in and out of combat, should you so desire. Yeah, you might be using uh, your action to swing, your bonus action to disengage, or to not disengage, but to, to move out, um, possibly through uh, difficult terrain that your opponent can't keep up with you.
4: Absolutely, the best defense is nobody
3: there. <laughs>
7: Um, I think one of the best examples, we always like to include a Lord of the Rings example when we can, uh, Bilbo Baggins is actually a great rogue.
5: Yeah, ultimately, even though he's a reluctant hero at first, I think a lot of what Bilbo Baggins does uh, have really inspired uh, the rogue character. Um, I think the other one that I would be completely uh, remiss to not mention um, is uh, Cudgel the Clever from Jack Vance's A Dying Earth and his adventures are pretty much the reason why we have the rogue class in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, That combined with probably Bilbo Baggins are the the instigators of this whole mess.
3: All right, so next
4: we're gonna move on to exploration. And what do we have? All right, so with exploration, you have the scout or the explorer, or we have the extreme adventurer. So with, with
3: the scout, you're gonna get a handful of things that are going to, as you would guess, make you better at exploration you're going to get Alert, you're going to get Dungeon Delver, you're going to get
4: Observant, and, you know, that previously mentioned, Skulker. Okay, so, you know, the the important thing with these feats are Alert gives you a bonus to the initiative, and you can't be surprised. Super helpful when you're out in front scouting and exploring and, and doing those things. Then, um, both Observant, Dungeon Delver, and Skulker, they all kind of double down on... Your skills and your senses. Uh, if you have a combination of dungeon delver and skulker, they totally eliminate one of the factors for. You've probably heard Ted talk about his eyes character and how that character could never be surprised or, or you know, his perception was so high. But there are a couple things that do bring perception down: dim light as well as as movement speed right so you can't you can't search things that that can bring you down by like a minus 10 that's huge absolutely combine these two feats skulker and dungeon delver totally eliminates that so it makes you even better at doing that and i think ted even missed those when he's doing his eyes build i i did you know there was a lot lot going on with that particular character but you know
3: passive perception 30 was nothing to uh you know nothing to scoff at and definitely sent that DM for uh, a little bit of a loop. But had I gone in this direction, then
4: you know she really uh, wouldn't have known what to do. Yeah, And not only that though, like the, this combination makes you super, super tanky against traps as the rogue, right? You have resistance to damage from traps you're, traps, you're more likely to find them. So really this is the ultimate explorer or scout kind of build. So you can totally
3: get in there, fi- find the stuff, stay hidden, and you know, do everything you need to do without, without your enemies even knowing that you are there. <laughs> Alright, so uh, the Extreme Adventurer. What do they get? Alright, so we're looking at Athlete, Dungeon Delver, and Mobile for this one. Alright, we've already talked about how awesome Mobile
4: is. But why is Athlete good for a Rogue? Okay, so one, if you end up prone, you can get up and spend only five foot of movement, which is helpful. You get to use your climb speed. Uh, or you, I mean, when you climb, you use your regular speed. It's not halved. It makes you faster. It's also going to give you a stat adjustment to strength or dex. So it, it just makes this character a lot more physical.
3: And, you know, I mean, if they're going to be an extreme adventurer, then it totally makes sense that they're they're more physical.
4: Yeah, and then so we added Dungeon Delver in too because the idea is, like, instead of spelunking caves, you kind of spelunk dungeons and stuff like that. And then, we, like you said, we talked about mobile and how that can be super helpful for moving through difficult terrain. So it's when you combine these three, you're you're, you're, going to be able to move around and get to -to hard-to-reach places much easier than a lot of your other players. Uh, And you don't even have to use magic
3: to do it. Absolutely. You, know, you could easily uh, throw, throw this kind of character in there, throw your, uh, your expertises into athletics and to acrobatics, and you would be super physical.
4: Yeah, so that, that was kind of the idea. Next we have uh, our last pillar, and that is social. Uh, and here we're going to call this
3: one the mimic.
4: Yeah, mimic or spy works equally well for this one. We've got actor, we've got observant, we've got linguist, and we've got keen mind. Right, now
3: a lot of these. I mean, we've, we've talked about observant, but I mean, these aren't really coming across as your your typical rogue type things. Linguist, actor, keen mind. How do how do these
4: play into uh, you know a, a rogue build? All right, so actor is going to give you a bonus to your charisma, which this is kind of a charisma based rogue in my in my opinion, and uh, not only that, it makes you better at. Mimicking other people and pretending to be someone you're not, so it's going to make you really good with disguises. All right, so this is this is for your charlatan rogue. This, well, it could be for your charlatan rogue or just someone who's a spy or infiltrator. Yeah, the the, the
3: great thing about the rogue is they've you know pointed out before is you know the rogue falls into that expert category. So you could oh well I've got sneak attacks, so well, I can do combat, but I want to focus my skills on you know. Instead of intelligence, I want to go charisma. And this is, this is where we see this kind of rogue build. You're going to be you know, using your expertise on your interactions, as you would expect. This is in the social pillar.
4: Yes. So, you know, observe it. That just makes us like you're at a party or you're at a function and you're just aware of everything that's going on. But you know, not only that, you have the ability to read lips, and that's and that's the real
3: key because you you could be that person that's just sitting off to the side, and you're getting everything that is happening in these conversations, without you even having to be close enough to have heard it. Imagine the amount of dirt that you could get out at a social gathering where you know no one has the slightest
4: clue that you know everything that's being said. And then Keen Mind, that's going to allow you to remember everything for up to a month. So there's plenty of time to go do your mission, get out, and then write a brief where it's going to be perfect recall and have everything there. So that which also kind of leans into the last one, Linguist. And, you know, here, I mean, obviously, if you're going to be reading lips, if you're going to be spying
3: on people, well, then you're going to need to know the languages that they're speaking. You're going to need to know the languages that are, you know, written, written down in the things that you're going to pick up and read and be like, okay, I know what this says because of Keen Mind, I'm going to put it perfectly back where it was. I'm going to go back. I'm going to make a
4: forgery and I'm going to write it all down. And now I've got an exact copy. Now, not only that, like, it, maybe you're on a protracted mission and you have to kind of do your briefs while you're there. Linguist kind of leans into that, too, because you can create ciphers, the DC for which are your proficiency mod added to your intelligence score, not modifier. So they're going to be hard to crack. And I would take that a step further. If I'm the DM, you have linguist, and you're trying to crack ciphers, because you make ciphers yourself... I would say you're better at it and I would give you advantage to that role, that's just me personally as a DM. And that makes a
3: lot of sense, so this, this character being able to know languages, know exactly what they've seen or heard, you know, for the, for the last month, being able to, you know, do all of this stuff makes them phenomenal spies.
1: Oh, it's really actually quite satisfying because you can hear it, can you hear that? That's the sound of youth returning. Sooner or later, you're going to hear stuff like, oh, no, we need more money to fight this war. The Pentagon aren't getting enough money. Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, BAE Systems, Northrop Grumman, they need more of your taxpayer dollars to continue this war. It's an escalating war. They, in general, want you to be fearful, anxious the whole time. There is an agenda at play here. You can see it in the choice of words. You can see it in the consistency of language. You can feel it in the tone. Let me know if you agree in the chat and the comments. The big question, was this simply a reckless interception
6: that got out of control? or was the collision done on purpose? Was that
1: done on purpose? You said that that was an accident when you stood on my foot, but I reckon it was done on purpose. Make up, make up, never, never break up. If you do, ignore the treaty between Reagan and Gorbachev and escalate tension, infringement on the territory from 2014 coup, selling weapons
6: over to you. If you do, you'll get the flu at half past two and have World War II, I mean three
2: it's clear that it was unsafe, unprofessional.
6: This war is unprofessional. Please, gentlemen, we can't have fighting in the war room. It's literally beyond
1: parody.
4: And I think the actions speak for themselves.
1: No, they don't. The actions don't speak for themselves. Here is the actions sort of speaking for themselves, although it is actually me doing it. A drone went a bit too near Russia. A fighter jet went near that drone. The drone came down. That's about it. Everything else is conjecture.
8: The Pentagon announcing just hours ago that a Russian jet harassed. New news outlet. Same language. And then collided with a U.S. Reaper drone. Now, several times before the collision happens, the Russian jets dumped fuel on. Dumped fuel. Again, consistency of language. Flew in front of the drone in a reckless. Reckless. Again, new channel. Same story. And environmentally unsound. This is great propaganda.
6: Great propaganda. But could we say somehow that it's also environmentally unsound? God, is that really the priority on the brink of World War III? No, but it makes it sound worse and it's on message. Okay. Okay, I'll just say it then.
8: Environmentally unsound. and environmentally unsound and unprofessional manner. Unprofessional. No, General McCaffrey, it's, it's a little bit... Uh... You might take one glance at General McCaffrey and immediately conclude, this man has known
1: true evil. You'd be free to think that in your own mind, but it would be helpful, wouldn't it, if there was some evidence. Why is General McCaffrey on the news? What are his connections? What's he done in the past? None of this is being asked, of course, by MSNBC, because I would argue, and indeed have, that they are irresponsible and parrot the agenda of the establishment. So, let's watch General McCaffrey, then we'll learn a little bit more about him in a moment.
8: Um, like the opening scenes in, um, Top Gun, the the first one. How dare
1: you suggest that the mainstream media presents information to us like we're children? This is a bit like Top Gun, Goose, Maverick, the guys, poor Val Kilma, and that scarf in the
8: second one, isn't it?
6: I I don't know, I mean, I
8: suppose so. Um, with the roles reversed here. Reverse Top Gun, so Nugpot. Is that a film, Nugpot? They were obviously brazen. Uh, if you're to believe U.S. defense and intelligence officials, which which we do. Oh, we do, do we? Well, we don't!
2: Well, there's no question that this uh, was a deliberate provocation. I find highly unlikely it was just a lack of discipline on a part of selected Russian uh, fighter aircraft.
4: Okay,
1: General McCaffrey, you might notice there he is, hanging out with Bill Clinton in the background. Let's see what he's been up to in his career. Probably a thoroughly decent sort of chap. An investigative report for the New Yorker by veteran Seymour Hersh, friend of the show... Pulitzer Prize-winning conspiracy theorist alleges that Barry McCaffrey orchestrated a 1991 massacre of hundreds of Iraqi troops two days after a ceasefire went into effect at the end of the Gulf War. In a ceasefire, are you supposed to cease firing?
6: there's some doubt about the interpretation of those words. Them ceasefire troops was harassing the air nearby me.
1: Yeah, but war, do you know what I mean? The the war, the fog of war, there's losses on both sides. American forces suffered no casualties in the attack, and the soldiers called it a turkey shoot, given that, as Hearst reports, few of the retreating Iraqis returned the fire, and some were even sunbathing on their tanks. Look at those bastards.
6: What are they doing? Worshipping the sun with their tits and their bellies? Get em, boys! And now for some unbiased reporting on MSNBC News.
1: That jet was harassing that drone. If that jet was harassing that drone, were you doing to them Iraqis? Hershey's story also alleges that in two incidents McCaffrey's division fired on unarmed Iraqis. Now of course I'm not claiming to understand the complexity of war and the kind of military expertise that McCaffrey might have. He's probably a person of incredible military genius but I am saying don't get him on MSNBC to talk about the egregious behaviour of a Russian jet when he's participated in a war that many people still regard as illegal. Whilst we're on the topic of carefully selected pundits brought on to de-escalate tension and bring about peace, let's have a look at warmongering hawk madman Lindsey Graham suggesting the only way out of this is to sort of smash everything in the world to bits like Reagan would have done.
9: If he could remember to. They shot down our drone. What should our answer be? Well, we should hold them accountable and say that if you ever get near another uh, US set flying in international waters, (laughs) Your airplane would be shot down. What would Ronald Reagan do right now?
1: Well, let's not forget that what Ronald Reagan actually did was negotiated with Gorbachev to end the Cold War. A deal that meant that NATO were not to impede on former Soviet territory by even one inch. How's that been going lately?
9: He would he would start shooting Russian planes down if they were threatening our assets.
1: He'd do it himself with that chimp sidekick. Woohoo!
9: We're in a dangerous situation. Uh, Weakness breeds provocation.
1: It's like the old phrase, weakness breeds provocation. That means doing nothing or advocating for peace, according to Lindsey Graham, is somehow inciting provocation. Who are these pundits? Why are they brought on? I know Lindsey Graham is not a pundit. He's a politician, terrifyingly. But what I'm saying is, is look at the perspective the mainstream media are giving us on this conflict. Whether it's the right or the left, they are escalating the tensions. Now, in this particular conflict, it seems there are more voices. On the right, that are calling for de-escalation but when it comes to the China conflict, is it the same? Let me know in the chat, let me know in the comments what you think about it. Let's have a look at punditry, its objectivity, and the connections between these pundits and the military-industrial complex. Hopefully, there is none, because otherwise, that wouldn't be punditry, that would be advertising. Many of the retired military leaders employed by the networks as paid contributors have secondary affiliations that are rarely, if ever mentioned, leaving viewers in the dark about whose interests they're promoting. None of the leading networks, including MSNBC, makes a regular practice of announcing its military analysts' Financial ties to the Pentagon Connections that could colour their on-air comments They do colour their on-air comments During its Ukraine coverage, MSNBC even failed to include disclosures when the network invited on former Homeland Security Secretary, Jay Johnson, who serves on the board of directors at Lockheed Martin, the world's biggest defence contractor. Okay, this
6: is a great board meeting here at Lockheed Martin. Yes, you're right. We've got to sell more weapons. Let me put that right out of my mind now and go over to MSNBC. Now, what should we do about this potential war? Don't say sell more weapons. Don't say sell more weapons. It'll look like you're saying that because of your connections to Lockheed Martin. I don't know, should we maybe protect Ukrainian people by selling, I mean using more aid? What type of aid? Weapons.
9: They spy balloon over the United States, shooting down an American drone, multi-million dollar drone.
1: Tying together all these rather routine incidents, balloons, whoever balloons, drones, all this stuff that goes on all the time, at the moment it's convenient to use it to escalate tension. Why? At least it's not suddenly just mentioning Mexico for no reason at all.
9: They know they can get away with it. Mexico is blaming us for the fentanyl crisis. Oh, that's weird. And Joe Biden is like a deer in the headlights.
1: Deer in headlights are actually quite alert, so I disagree with him there as well. So what could be behind all this? A Sweden-based research institute published a report Monday showing that the United States accounted for 40% of the world's weapons exports in the years 2018-22, to selling armaments to more than 100 countries while increasing its dominance of the global arms trade. That means that they sell nearly the majority of all weapons, and that likely there are wars and conflicts where weapons from both sides have been sold to them by the military-industrial complex. It's almost baked into the American economy or the global economy, I suppose, because it's not helping you as an American unless you work at one of those places, But there has to be ongoing conflict. Like Assange said, the purpose of the Afghanistan war was not to win it, but to sustain it. Because he says that the function, as I've told you many times, because I remembered it and it seemed accurate to me, the function of the American government is to extract your money from you, the public, and give it to private companies. Just keep looking out for pandemics and wars and situations that create that type of dynamic. Soon after the Ukraine war broke out last year, Congress voted to appropriate 40 billion dollars in aid to Ukraine. Every single Democrat voted for it. Now, Republican leadership in Congress has blasted President Biden's massive $886 billion military budget request for 2024 as inadequate. Bloody hell, how much war do you need? So that's Democrats and Republicans, both sides calling for more money for more war. Not saying, should we look for peaceful solutions? Should we distribute that money among American people? Create a better America for the people that live there? No, escalate tensions. Give more of it to the military-industrial complex. Let me know if that's what you would vote for in a democracy if you had one. Because you don't. Adding in likely emergency military aid packages for Ukraine later this year, plus the potential tens of billions of dollars in congressional add-ons, could push total spending for national defense to as much as $950 billion or more for the fiscal year 2024. You got not really call it the defense industry at this point. Defense suggests that there's a bunch of stuff happening and the nation is protecting itself from it. But so far, all there's been is a balloon and a remote control plane has fallen into the sea covered in jet poo. The result could be the highest military budget since World War II. Far higher than at the peaks of the Korean or Vietnam Wars, or the height of the Cold War. Could there be a connection between this kind of media reporting and these kind of numbers? Let me know. If past experience is any, guide, Nah, forget past experience! Why would we use that when making decisions? Why don't you just forget about the last couple of years? Forget everything. Just watch your telly. Why don't you vote for the side that's not currently in power? Maybe that'll help. More than half of the new Pentagon budget will go to contractors with the biggest share going to the top five. Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Raytheon General Dynamics and Northrop Grumman to build everything from howitzers and tanks to intercontinental ballistic missiles. There is more than money at stake. An open-ended strategy that seeks to develop capabilities to win a war with Russia or China, fight regional wars against Iran or North Korea and sustain a global war on terror that includes operations in at least 85 countries is a recipe for endless conflict. If you have a recipe for endless conflict, if you have an economic Necessity for endless conflict, if you have no political party advocating for peaceful solutions, if you have politicians from all over the world, including our country, Britain, where I'm from, brokering anti-peace deals, then you are going to have perpetual conflict. Not predicated on peace and protection for America or Western democracy or whatever term you want to use, oh, the barbarians are at the gate, but simply to keep an industry alive, to keep an industry flourishing, and I believe even more significantly to facilitate the transfer of your tax dollars into the hands of privately owned companies. Free market capitalism is one thing. Banking crises are something else. Pandemics where trillions are transferred to the wealthiest people in the world. But ongoing war, the death of children, the fetishization of the damage of a drone and the neglect of Ukrainian kids dying while claiming that that's what it's all about. Unconsciously, what's being revealed is what they really care about. When they talk about that drone in order to escalate tensions, they reveal that what this is really about is money and industry and that peace is not on the agenda because peace is bad for business. But that's just what I think. Let me know what you think in the chat in the comments. If you enjoyed this video, have a look at either of these. Remember, my stand-up special is available now. Brandemic, where I talk about the pandemic in ways that could not be broadcast on mainstream media. That's why it's only available to you. Get over there to Rumble and buy it now. In the meantime, stay free.
0: So what do you think? Chaotic Good or lawful evil. Now, I recognize those are not the only two. There are many, many different personality or character alignments that one can be. But I find it an interesting dichotomy. I think what we've lived through in the last couple years was a whole lot of lawful evil. Now, I haven't played all that much D&D, but I played a lot. One winter. In fact, it was just about two weeks where me and my roommates, we had this big winter storm come through back in about 2013 and we played Dungeons and Dragons every day and I remember putting together my character sheet and I really liked the idea of a chaotic good rogue someone that Follows their own rules, if you will. Goes by their own, you know, the beat of their own drummer. The effective scout. The one that goes ahead. The one that takes on danger in order to in order to do good. And I think that's a pretty good way of describing our dude, Russell Brand. Yeah, you might argue with me, he's more of a bard or a wizard or a druid maybe. But I think he most certainly is chaotic good. No matter the class. You know, rogue or not, he is chaotic good. And hearing him talk to like Tucker Carlson, you know, it's like Tucker might be more of that that lawful good or neutral good, or you know, maybe you could argue he's more, I don't know, in that neutral, neutral, lawful kind of space, but it's an interesting it's an interesting way of assessing someone's character. Not that they are firmly one thing, but what is their default mode? You know, if Russell Brand is chaotic good, he may spend a good amount of time in, you know, neutral good or chaotic neutral. You know, he might jump around a little bit, but generally speaking, he is certainly a force for good even if he is a little chaotic. And I think that probably applies to most of the listeners on this show. If you're not chaotic good, I bet you at the very least you're neutral good. But I think you're probably a rogue. You know, you're ahead of the majority. You're, you're scouting the way for your party. If you're listening to this show, I would venture to guess you have already gone rogue. And I feel like I had some other thoughts, but they're not coming to me right now. You know, what I hope with the way I clipped all these together, my goal is that it would be thought-provoking. You know, maybe maybe you learned something you didn't know. Even if you're never going to play a game of Dungeons & Dragons, I think this still has value. And if it does, and you would like to donate to the Easy Peasy Podcast, please go to easypeasy.ittybitty.tips